Chapter Fifty One of the Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Headless Horseman: A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter Fifty One. Twice Intoxicated. Our story takes us back to the lone hut on the Alamo, so suddenly forsaken by the gambling guests who had made themselves welcome in the absence of its owner. It is near noon of the following day, and he has not yet come home. The C. Devant stable-boy of Bally Ballet is once more sole occupant of the jacale, once more stretched along the floor, in a state of inebriety. Though not the same from which we have seen him already aroused, he has been sober since, and the spell now upon him has been produced by a subsequent appeal to the divinity of drink. To explain, we must go back to that hour between midnight and morning, when the Monte players made their abrupt departure. The sight of three red savages, seated around the slab table, and industriously engaged in a game of cards, had done more to restore Philem to a state of sobriety than all the sleep he had obtained. Despite a certain gratisqueness in the spectacle, he had not seen such a ludicrous sight, as was proved by a terrific speech with which he saluted them. There was nothing laughable in what followed. He had no very clear comprehension of what did follow. He only remembered that the trio of painted warriors suddenly gave up their game, flung their cards upon the floor, stood over him for a time with naked blades, threatening his life and then, along with the fourth who had joined them, turned their backs abruptly, and rushed pell-mell out of the place. All this occupied scarce twenty seconds of time, and when he recovered from his terrified surprise, he found himself once more alone in the jacale. Was the sleeping or awake, drunk or dreaming? Was the scene real, or was it another chapter of incongruous impossibilities, like that still fresh before his mind? But no, the thing was no fancy. It could not be. He had seen the savages too near to be mistaken as to their reality. He had heard them talking in a tongue unknown to him. What could it be but Indian jargon? Besides, there were the pieces of pasteboard strewn over the floor. He did not think of picking one up to satisfy himself of their reality. He was sober enough, but not sufficiently courageous for that. He could not be sure of their not burning his fingers. Those queer cards, they might belong to the devil. Despite the confusion of his senses, it occurred to him that the hut was no longer a safe place to stay in. The painted players might return to finish their game. They had left behind not only their cards, but everything else the jackalay contained. And though some powerful motive seemed to have seized their abrupt departure, they might reappear with equal abruptness. The thought prompted the Galwagon to immediate action, and blowing out the candle so as to conceal his movements, he stole softly out of the hut. He did not go by the door. The moon was shining on the grass plat in front. The savages might still be there. He found means of exit at the back by pulling one of the horse kids from its place and squeezing himself through the stockade wall. Once outside, he skulked off under the shadow of the trees. He had not gone far when a clump of dark objects appeared before him. There was a sound, as of horses, champing their bits, and the occasional striking of a hoof. 
he paused in his steps, screening his body behind the trunk of a cypress. A short observation convinced him that what he saw was a group of horses. There appeared to be four of them, no doubt belonging to the four warriors, who had turned the mustanger's hut into a gaming house. The animals appeared to be tied to a tree, but for all that their owners might be beside him. Having made this reflection, he was about to turn back and go the other way. But just as that moment he heard voices in the opposite direction, the voices of several men speaking in tones of menace and command. Then came short, quick cries of affright, followed by the baying of a hound, and succeeded by silence, at intervals interrupted by a swishing noise, or the snapping of a branch, as if several men were retreating through the underwood in scared confusion. As he continued to listen, the noises sounded nearer, the men who made them were advancing towards a cypress tree. The tree was furnished with buttresses all around its base, with shadowy intervals between. Into one of these he had stepped hastily, and crouching close was completely screened by the shadow. He had scarce effected his concealment, when four men came rushing up, and without stopping hastened on towards the horses. As they passed by him they were exchanging speeches which the Irishman could not understand but their tone betrayed terror. The excited action of the men confirmed it. They were evidently retreating from some enemy that had filled them with fear. There was a glade where the moonbeams fell upon the grass. It was just outside the shadow of the cypress. To reach the horses they had to cross it, and as they did so, the vermilion upon their naked shins flashed red under the moonlight. Phelim identified the four gentlemen, who had made so free with the hospitality of the hut. He kept his place till they had mounted and roamed off, till he could tell by the tramp of their horses that they had ascended the upper plain, and gone off in a gallop, as men who were not likely to come back again. Doesn't that bait, Banager? muttered he, stepping out from his hiding-place, and throwing up his arms in astonishment. Be japers, it is. Mother of Moses. What can it be anyhow? What are them divils after? If what's after them? Sure something has given them a scare. That's plain as a pike staff. I wonder now if it's been that same. Be me sowl, it's just it they've encountered. I hear the hound growling, and didn't he go after it? Oh, lard, what can it be? May it be coming this way in pursuit of them? The dread of again beholding the unexplained apparition, or being beheld by it caused them to shrink once more under the shadow of the tree, where he remained for some time longer in a state of trembling suspense. After all, it must be some thrick of Master Maurice, maybe to give me a scare, and coming back. He's just been in time to frighten off these redskins that intended to rub a beloike to murder us too. Sow, I hope it is that. How long since I saw it first? Trath! It must be some considerable time. I remember having four fool naggins, and that's all gone off. I wonder now if them Indians has come across in Avda Dimijan. I've heard that they're as fond of the crather as if their skins was white. Sowl, if they've smelt the jar, they won't be a dwarp in it by this time. I'll just slip back to the hut and see. If thar's any danger, now it won't be from them. By that tyrant gallop, I can tell, they've gone for good. 
Once more emerging from the shadowy stall, he made his way back toward the jacale. He approached it with caption, stopping at intervals to assure himself that no one was near. Notwithstanding the plausible hypothesis he had shaped out for himself, he was still in dread of another encounter with the headless horseman, whose twice on his way to the hut might now be inside of it. But for the hope of finding a drap in the demijohn, he would have not have ventured back that night. As it was, the desire to obtain a drink was a trifle stronger than his fears, and yielding to it, he stepped doubtfully into the darkness. He made no attempt to rekindle the light. Every inch of the floor was familiar to him, and especially that corner where he expected to find the demijohn. He tried for it. An exclamation uttered in a tone of disappointment told that it was not there. "'Be dad,' muttered he, as he grumbly groped about. "'It looks as if they have been at it. Of course they have. Else why is it not in this place? I left it thar. Sure I left it thar. "'Ach, me jewel, and it's there, ye as are at he continued as his hand came in contact with the wicker-work, and bad luck to their imperents, empty as an eggshell. Ach, you greedy, gutted bastards! If I had known yez were going to do that, I have slipped a trifle of stomach-juice into the jar, and made real fire-water. Have it for ye just what yez wants. Divil burn ye for a set of ridskin again, I don't believe I can, thinking of them on the t'other, without a trifle of the there to comfort me, as there isn't a drop within twenty fwat fwat. Howly Mary, Mother of Moses, St. Patrick, and all the others to boot. What am I talking about? The pewter flask, the pewter flask, be japers. It's in the thrunk, full to the very neck. Didn't I feel it for Master Maurice to take with him the last time he went to the settlements? And didn't he forget to take it? Lord have mercy on me. If the Indians have laid their dirty claws upon that, I shall after take and lave at me senses. Hoo, hoop, hurroo, he cried, after an interval of silence, during which he could be heard, fumbling among the contents of the portmanteau. Who, who, Peru, thanks to the Lord for all his mercies. The redskins haven't been coming enough to look there. The flask, as full as a tick, not one of them, has had a finger on it. Who, who, Peru? For some seconds the discoverer of the spirituous treasure, giving way to a joyous excitement, could be heard in the darkness, dancing over the floor of the jackale. Then there was an interval of silence, succeeded by the screwing of a stopper and after that a succession of glucks that proclaimed the rapid emptying of a narrow-necked vessel. After a time the sound was suspended, to be replaced by a repeated smacking of lips, interlarded with the grotesque ejaculations. Again came the gluck-gluck, again the smacking, and so on alternatively, till an empty flask was heard falling upon the floor. After that there were wild shouts, scraps of song intermingled with cheers and laughter, incoherent ravings about red Indians and headless horsemen, repeated over and over again, each time in more subdued tones, till the Mauden gibberish at length ended in loud continuous snoring. End of chapter 51